You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, Apple Podcasts, whatever you like. And if you don't like any of those services, or maybe you're just a commuter, you don't want to be looking at your phone while you're finding your favorite podcast, you can always just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. And today we are going to spend most of the podcast focusing on the skill players, on the Vikings, the receivers, the tight ends, the running backs. But first, a couple of quick updates of news. The budding romance between the Cleveland Browns and Vikings front office assistant George Patton is blossoming, and it is, uh, it's getting kind of serious. They are in the middle of a second interview. That interview is taking a long time. That's typically a sign that, you know, things are uh, moving along and moving toward a deal between the two sides. Of course, all of these things can totally change on a dime. So something to continue to monitor over the weekend. Also, there was a little bit of confusion in the reporting uh, of the fate of Drew Petzing, the Vikings wide receivers coach. There was uh, a thought for a moment that he was going to come back into the facility, sign a new deal, and continue to be the wide receivers coach for the Vikings, but that fell through, and he indeed will be leaving. So all of the talk we did uh, last week, or was it the week before, about possible assistant coaching changes, uh, that's all still definitely on the table. It's also time for the Viking of the Day, our daily ritual where we highlight one Viking of old to remember, reminisce about, and perhaps get to know a little better. And today's Viking of the Day, one of my favorites growing up, Jake Reed. Jake Reed was, of course, a wide receiver during mostly the 90s and spilled over into the 2000s. He did a weird season abroad before coming back to Minnesota to round out his career. Uh, However, his time mostly was defined by the 1990s as kind of the counterpart to Chris Carter. And of course, the most recognizable part of Jake Reed is as the third part of those old three deep uh, marketing posters with Chris Carter, Randy Moss, and Jake Reed back in the 1998-1999 seasons. And of course, I mean, we get a lot of talk about Chris Carter and Randy Moss. Of course, they're both Hall of Famers, and Jake Reed being the third part of that, I think is a little underrated, and it's fun to talk about him. In the 90s, before the era of Randy Moss, and when Chris Carter was kind of the, you know, the DeAndre Hopkins, I guess, of the Vikings in that time, Jake Reed was a really consistent possession receiver, and I I think there's something that's, you know, worth admiring about that. He was always one of those guys that, you know, like a disproportionate amount of his catches were were third down conversions. Kind of reminds me of like Jarius Wright a few years ago, where it just seemed like he always popped up at the exact right moment and then no other time. And and I think that there's something really neat about that. Somebody with that that inherent clutchness that we maybe can't measure, but we know it when we see it. And it's interesting because it's a different skill set. You know, it's it's different to be consistent than to be explosive. Those are two different things with pros and cons, right? If you are always the consistent, I think of like a Jason Witten or even Kyle Rudolph on the Vikings. If you are consistently right there, but no higher, you know, Jason Witten down the stretch, he was never going to catch a 65-yard touchdown. Stefan Diggs might and has a lot. And Jake Reed actually could kind of switch gears into that deep threat guy if everybody was doubling Randy Moss and doubling Chris Carter, and and you could go to Jake Reed, and you could have a big Jake Reed game. 
especially with guys, you know, with cannons for arms, uh, like Jeff George throwing to him that one year, or of course, famously Randall Cunningham and, you know, Warren Moon for a long time. There's something, of course, valuable to, you know, the wide receiver three, the next option after the two main guys are covered. And we're very familiar with that as present day Vikings fans, of course, you know, the wide receiver three, that get, the, the Jarius Wright that gets all the work when Diggs and Thielen are doubled or when one of them is hurt or something. And this year it was maybe Ola B.C. Johnson or Irv Smith. But back in those days, it was somebody who really blows all those guys out of the water in Jake Reed, somebody who could be a focal point of the offense if the other two guys were taken out. And while, of course, he's not going to make the Hall of Fame, right? He wasn't Chris Carter or Randy Moss. There's something weirdly disproportionately special about the unsung hero who was able to take over when teams figured out how to take down your superstars. That guy that always came in in the clutch when you needed him the most. That is just something special as a fan that is always worth remembering, especially as current day Vikings fans, when there are sometimes unsung heroes. You know, a Fadio Denebo taking a defensive touchdown that turns the whole game around. That, that sort of guy that's not going to constantly be the superstar taking over every game, but has those specific moments that are so special and and memorable that Jake Reed always gets to have his place next to Chris Carter and Randy Moss. And carving out that slot is probably the legacy that he gets to leave, and I think it's a good one. So enough musing about uh, Vikings of old. Let's talk about the skill players for the Vikings uh, this year. And of course, I want to start with the big guys, uh, you know, the Diggs, the Thielen, the Dalvin Cook. So let's start with Diggs and Thielen. Of course, Adam Thielen missed a bunch of games with his hamstring injury, and it's hard to fault him for that, right? Hamstrings happen. But uh, it's also, I think, worth it to look at those two as a pair when they were on the field and how the Vikings used them and, and to say, you know, hey, did they use these guys right? I think that's always a good question to ask. Like, did they do things right with this? digs and with this Thielen, you have two receivers who are good deep threats, who are good route runners, who are good possession threats, who are good yards after the catch threats, although I've never been a big fan of Adam Thielen after the catch. I think he runs backwards too often, but that's a nitpick, right? They're like good at pretty much everything that you would want a wide receiver to be good at. They're good at releases. They're good at, you know, breaking off their routes. They're good at, at the catch point, at winning contested catches. Stefan Diggs and Tyree Kill have long been the top two contested catch receivers in the NFL, and there's this huge drop-off to number three, which is amazing because, you know, Diggs isn't like a six foot four, 220-pound, you know, type of, of you know, box him out type of, like, um, pseudo-tight end type. No, he's like a little guy, but he just plays way bigger than his actual stature, which has always been kind of a fun thing to think about with him. And so how do you use somebody who's good at everything, right? That is essentially becomes an interesting philosophical question of how do you use a wide receiver if you can trust them to do whatever, right? Of course, you know, if somebody is fast but can't really run routes, you're going to make them run go routes, right? If you have a DK Metcalf, right? He's fast, he can run okay routes, but he has those agility issues and stuff. Run him on a bunch of goes and deep posts and overs and stuff and just let him use his athleticism, the Seahawks did great with that. But if you have, you know, a route technician or maybe, you know, a, a speedy yards after the catch guy and you have Percy Harvin, you know, give him a bubble screen. Like th there are ways to, to take advantage of strengths if you know their strengths. But what if they don't really have specific strengths because they're kind of equally good at all the stuff? And that leads to the question of what's the best way to use a wide receiver? What do you want out of a wide receiver? And I would say deep touchdowns, right? Go for explosive plays. And that's exactly what they did with both Diggs and Thielen. They ran deep route concepts with the both of them. A lot of Yankee, which is the one where they will line up on either side of the field and essentially run a, a deep post and an over route. 
crossing over the the middle free safety and putting that guy in a conflict. He either has to go behind to the post or or in front of him to the over, and you throw to the other guy. But even stuff like deep scissors or things like, and uh, scissors is where, you know, you have one person run a corner and one person run a post and they cross each other deep and that's called, you know, scissors. Or having something like running them both run twinned blaze out routes where it's basically a deep out route, but it kind of uh, uh, leans in on the stem so you can kind of hopefully get a cornerback's hips turned the wrong way before you break outside on them, and there's a million highlights of both Diggs and Thielen turning cornerbacks into absolute mush with that route. Now, Diggs's average depth of target was over 15 yards. When he got targeted, it was for a big play all the time, and Thielen's wasn't too far behind with 14 yards. So when both of those guys were on the field, you were using deep route concepts to try to generate explosive plays. It is hard for me to come up with a better way to use those guys, and it's why they had such good seasons. Stefan Diggs, by yards per route run, which is my favorite wide receiver statistic, it's basically yards per attempt, but for wideouts, where you just take the number of genuine passing plays where they ran a route and divide their yards by it, and that, like that's it. And by that metric, Stefan Diggs was second in the league behind only, you guessed it, Michael Thomas. So it's hard to imagine that going up, right? Replicating that would be an incredible feat for 2020. And so if I'm the next offensive coordinator, whoever that is, I'm looking at this year and saying, okay, how do we do that again? I will never run out of positive things to say about Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. But I will run out of time. So for now, let's pivot and talk a little bit about the Super Bowl and specifically... Super Bowl bets with my bookie. I've got a bunch of Super Bowl props in front of me. Uh, Some of them are fun. Some of them are, I think, just good value. And I wanted to kind of go over some of them. So you can bet on uh, the Super Bowl MVP. And uh, of course, you know, Mahomes and Garoppolo, those are the odds on favorites. But you could also bet on somebody like Nick Bosa as a wild card at plus 1700. I kind of like like Tyree Kill or George Kittle plus 19 plus 1200. Uh, or even just one of the running backs, right? Raheem Mostert or, or Damian Williams. Of course, you know, the, the whole running backs don't matter thing puts a, a damper on this. But there is so much press about Raheem Mostert. You know, if he gets two two yard touchdowns, I could totally see him getting MVP. You could also bet on something like uh, the 49ers or Chiefs by six or more, or you can go for any other result, which means, you know, the game was within six points if it's a close game at plus 220. That feels like pretty good value for a Super Bowl that's basically a pick'em. If it's within a score, roughly, you get over three times your money. Whatever props that you maybe want to look at, you should go definitely to mybookie.ag. They're the number one sports book online and with great reason. I love their website. I've been using them all year. And if you want to join in that fun as well, just have a random silly thing. You can bet on like stuff that happens at a halftime show, all kinds of crazy stuff. It's a lot of fun. And if you want to have that fun, join in, maybe add a little bit of sweat to your Super Bowl viewing experience, head on over to mybookie.ag and use promo code Locked On. They'll double your first deposit if this is your first time gambling. And what a better time to do it than the Super Bowl. So that's mybookie.ag, promo code Locked On. Moving on, let's talk about the other big premier skill player on the Vikings in Dalvin Cook. Of course, Dalvin Cook warrants a whole bunch of discussion in terms of, like, should he be extended and all that stuff, and and, uh, I'll talk about that maybe in in another episode, and the whole idea of, like, extending a running back and what it would look like and if they they should even do it, but in terms of just, like, evaluating his 2019 performance, it's no surprise that he made the Pro Bowl, right? He was very good at his job, And, and what's a running back's job, right? Because I think get yards oversimplifies it, because it's like, what do you need? them to be good at to get yards. You don't really need them to drive that production on all on their own, right? They've got a whole offensive line making holes. They just have to pick the right one. And that's maybe the most important thing a running back does is pick the right hole. And that vision was pretty good for Dalvin Cook 
in my opinion, I think he missed a couple times down the stretch, and I think that's why there were a couple of games, and I tracked, you know, explosive plays in a big thread all season, breaking down all the tape on, on Twitter, and you can kind of feel it just by the, the number of explosive plays generated, and you can kind of see it in the, like, more aggregate rushing stats, too. You could see a bit of a decline down the stretch of the season. I, I think teams kind of figured out what they were doing. I mean, they were doing the same outside zone that everybody else was doing, and it's, they weren't doing anything particularly unique. They were using some jet motion and really clever ways to like manipulate box counts and stuff and they were doing things that are generally good but weren't particularly surprising and it's difficult to be surprising without getting too cute right that's kind of the challenge of scheming up this offseason and I think the offensive staff has a bit of a tall order in front of them specifically with this running game and with using Dalvin Cook and getting him the ball in ways that is going to generate more explosive plays now of course this was just the run game and his uh his his passing production kind of increased proportionally to that run game. So I think they just, a lot of it was they replaced, you know, slashing outside zone runs with swing passes and things like screens and, and uh, you know, bubble screens, angle routes, stuff that gives Dalvin Cook the chance to generate those explosive plays just counts as a pass. And so it didn't count, you know, in the, the exercise that I happened to be doing, but it still worked out. And of course, you know, the Vikings had a top 10 offense. So a lot of this is going to be positive. In terms of what he was actually good at, I think the vision was good enough. And I think what really makes him special is his elusiveness, right? He was one of the better backs in the league at actually forcing missed tackles or uh, removing tackle opportunities in the first place by manipulating angles properly or just using very fleet, very choppy footwork to, you know, cause uh, defenders to be completely out of position, and that would make it easier for him to cut back. Dalvin Cook, and I've said it before, Dalvin Cook has never been the craziest combine athlete ever. I mean, he's not like a spark score god, like, say, Jarek McKinnon was, or somebody like even like Mike Boone, who is like all athleticism. That's never really been his game. He's always won with technique. And that's something that I think is a little bit more sustainable when it comes to, uh, you know, keeping a running back. He's not the kind of guy that is going to rely so much on physicality that his career is basically over at 27 when, when that time comes. He's not like Adrian Peterson jump-cutting people out of their shoes. I mean, he is winning in a very distinctly different and, in my opinion, more sustainable way. I do kind of find it interesting that, you know, every time, like, every time I did a crossover podcast going into the, to a Vikings game, they would always ask, hey, you know, all right, so how do you stop Dalvin Cook? Because that's really the key to stopping the Vikings. And it, I, I always found that interesting because, you know, there were games where Dalvin Cook really didn't get going at all, and the Vikings won. Like, I think uh, the Eagles game was won. I think there was a Lions game. Oh, no, the Lions game was excellent. Uh, maybe the other Lions game. The, the home Lions game where they won and Dalvin Cook didn't really do much. And, you know, they, they won that Eagles game. Dalvin Cook was totally shut down in that game and they scored 37 because Steph- Stefan Diggs blew the doors off of him. As for the other backs on the roster, which we should probably talk about here, is, is Alexander Madison, right? As a third round pick, what do you kind of expect? And I think a third round pick that comes in and, and usually, right, rule of thumb, a third round pick that comes in and contributes in a rotational capacity on their first uh, in the rookie year, usually a success. That said, as a running back, it's still probably not going to give as much of a boost as, you know, at, at other positions. That the, the burden of proof is a little bit higher for a running back to match what everybody else got with their third round picks at, you know, as, at offensive guards or with defensive tackles. And I think the take with Alexander Madison is that he was a, a, a good evaluation, but not necessarily great value. And that's ultimately not really a pick I'll ever agree with, but one that I can kind of swallow. 
I still think there's a little bit too much invested in that position and, and those resources would have been better spent elsewhere, but I also tend to subscribe to the philosophy of just, like, get good players, and in this case, it's hard to argue that they didn't do that, so it's something that I can kind of come to terms with. I sort of wish that they had just drafted at their, I think, what was it, 88th or 86th and uh, drafted Terry McLaurin, but that's just me. As for the other two, what I'll call the other two starters, at least, on the Vikings, Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith, I think you got a really similar story out of both of them. You got reasonable run-blocking years out of both of them. I think that's a little bit more encouraging for Irv Smith, because of course he's a rookie and that's the kind of thing you can improve on, although I do want to see that improvement. I I don't think that he was good enough long-term. I think he does have to get a little bit better at run-blocking for him to really be considered like a good run-blocking tight end, but that's definitely in the cards. And for Kyle Rudolph, we've seen reasonable run-blocking before. I think too often they tried to get Rudolph or, or Conklin or Irv Smith alone on defensive end. That's something that is kind of a pet peeve of mine when it comes to run play design, uh, especially when you're asking them to do that on an island and not, not you know, as the guy coming across the formation on, on you know, on a split zone or, or pulling or trapping or, you know, something that kind of helps with that mismatch. Sometimes they just like expect you to win. They do this against the Bears inexplicably all the time and I hate it. But uh, I think outside of that stuff, and of course that's going to like affect their run blocking grades on on PFF. PFF doesn't give you a lot of credit for your assignment was hard. They're just going to kind of say, no, you failed and you're going to get a minus for that and tally it all up. And that's what, you know, how that number comes to be. So we do kind of have to imagine in our minds, you know, hey, you know, they, they, did get asked to do hard things. But at the same time, they'll probably be asked to do hard things again next year because Rick Dennison's going to stay on as the run game coordinator, at least the run game coordinator. So it's hard to look at that and say, but, you know, but it'll be better next year. It probably won't. They have to get better at run blocking for, you know, that uh, level of production to increase. But in terms of actual... Uh, uh, production, you kind of saw Irv Smith as a guy who was good for like one or two big plays a game, right? And and that that can be enough, especially for uh, a TE2. Those explosive plays tend to, I mean, you know, yesterday we talked about offensive line and how it's consistency and how like highlight reel plays are, don't help you as much as low light real plays hurt you. And I think with a, a production position like tight end, it's different, right? You want to have the highlight real play. If you get one catch for a 70 yard touchdown and don't do anything for the rest of the game, it's arguable that you had a good game. And I think that Irv Smith and his propensity for generating like more explosive plays, he was able to, you know, run those deep digs and, you know, run like a deep corner or something or be, you know, the deep over on, on, a, on a flood concept. And th- having that really allowed a lot of the Vikings offense to sink because you couldn't really do that with Kyle Rudolph all the time. And sometimes they did do it and it worked schematically. Sometimes they did it and he was totally blanketed by a linebacker and it turned into a sack. But giving those to Irv Smith and if Irv Smith could get to a spot where he could run a screen successfully, his timing and his spacing was always off on screens. And I complained about it a lot in the beginning of the season until somebody pointed that out to me, uh, you know, going like, hey, why are you running these screens to like Kyle Rudolph, the slowest guy on the field? And it's because he spaces it out properly. And if you don't space it out properly, your screen's going to get blown up no matter how fast you are, right? You need to, to hit the right landmark so that an offensive lineman who's getting out to screen block, you know, they're trying to hit a landmark too. And if they hit their landmark, but you you don't hit yours, well, the defender doesn't have to 
respect the landmarks, right? They're just going to go at you wherever you are. And if you're not positioned properly behind that offensive lineman, you're going to get blown up. And that happened a little bit with Conklin and with uh, Irv Smith, not so much with Kyle Rudolph. That's why he got those plays. And that's why, you know, they're going to continue to be satisfied with him as a pass catcher. But his lack of athleticism is absolutely noticeable on those things. And if you can get Irv Smith to be good at that stuff, that is going to be when that kind of thing like totally explodes. But for now, and in terms of like 2020 outlook, I would love to see, you know, Irv Smith continue to just be the guy that gets like two, you know, 19 yard catches in a game. And and that's the guy that he is until Kyle Rudolph retires. I'm totally down with that. And in terms of Kyle Rudolph, I think his, I mean, he was actually like not good in the red zone for like the whole first half of the year. And he was like a total disappearing act for the whole first half of the year. And he did a lot of blocking, but even after you adjust for how much blocking he did, it still looked really bleak. And then the Dallas game happened. And he got that really cool one-handed catch. And suddenly, red zone things just kind of started opening up from that point on. And I don't know if there was something that changed because of that Dallas game or if it just happened that, you know, they just saved all, a lot of Kyle Rudolph stuff for later in the year, which, which coaches do do sometimes. But either way, Rudolph was able to do stuff in, in the red zone. You know, a, a couple of, of big one-handed grabs in the Dallas game. I believe in uh, in Seattle he did that. And, of course, you know, the big one, the, the game winner uh, against the Saints. And, you know, the the EPA on these is a little bit less interesting than, you know, converting like a third and 18 with a with a 19 yard strike to Irv Smith, like that kind of stuff. And that's the kind of stuff that Irv Smith generated. And for this, when you're on the three cashing in that last three yards, you know, you were on the three. So the actual EPA, you know, expected points at the three, most teams score from the three. So you are expected to get higher and cashing that in into the full seven is going to be like worth less value. That's why those, you know, those one yard touchdown runs are are things that teams probably shouldn't let, like, decide their analysis for them. That said, not cashing in on those things is negative EPA, and so, you know, a lot of these are four-point plays, right? That's the way that I kind of think of those, like, short touchdowns, is that they're all four-point plays. And having that skill set is really nice, although without it, I mean, you still have Diggs and Thielen, they're good contested catch guys, and the Vikings generally were very good in the red zone, but Kyle Rudolph was a part of that, and he deserves, you know, that much credit. I, I still think that, you know, that his time is waning, and Irv Smith's is coming, and, and but I mean, going forward with this duo I have absolutely no issues with right now. Wish it cost a little less money, but eh, what are you going to do? And in terms of, you know, the lower level skill players, the lower, deeper roster guys, the the Alexander Hollinses and and the Mike Boons and stuff, you know, a lot of those things, we could you could kind of just watch the Chicago game and that's going to be most of the, the takes for that. And we already recapped that game. But the one guy I really want to talk about out of that group, well, I, let's talk about Ola B.C. Johnson real quick. Obviously, that wide receiver three, he was the guy that kind of fulfilled that Jake Reed role enough. Uh, maybe Irv Smith did, but that, that Jake Reed, you know, okay, both other guys are covered, but Ola B.C. Johnson is singled up against a slot receiver or a linebacker, and he's going to win. And he won enough of those to, I, I think, you know, earn his spot on the roster next year. And as a seventh round draft pick, that's actually an accomplishment. Most seventh round draft picks are not going to be guaranteed a roster spot there next year, even if they make the team in their rookie year. So, you know, BC doing that this year, he's way ahead of the curve. And that's something to be, you know, optimistic about. But the guy I really want to talk about is Laquan Treadwell, who had the most bizarro year ever. For one, he gets cut in the beginning of the year and then has to come back later in the year when Chad Beebe gets hurt. So it's already like a little weird that he's a guy that kind of has been a fixture on the Vikings. I mean, he's been on the Vikings for like five years, right? He's been like part of this group for a while, but he had to sit out the first three games on account of not making the team and not even really getting close to making the team. I mean, he was dead last on that depth chart next to 
Alexander Hollins, who ended up taking his job from him by the end of the year and ended up getting uh, the nod in the game against the Saints. Although Treadwell got the nod in the game against the 49ers. I'm sure there was like a run blocking thing going on there. But still, like those guys were at the bottom of the the wide receiver depth chart in training camp, but they both ended up on the seat on, on the team at the end of the year. So it was a really weird year for the wide receiver group. Of course, they only kept four wide receivers and one of them for most of the season was Laquan Treadwell, and that turned out to be a really interesting decision, and one that kind of bit him in the butt when uh, having Irv Smith as kind of a de facto extra wide receiver did help some, but he wasn't a wide receiver. He's not a wide receiver. I mean, he ran a 40-yard dash time of a 4.63. That's slower than Treadwell. He's a tight end, not a wide receiver. A fast tight end, but not a wide receiver. And so that lack of speed, I think, really uh, made them struggle to, you know, stretch the field a lot of the times when you couldn't have both Diggs and Thielen on the field at the same time. So in 2020, I probably wouldn't do that again. But with Treadwell specifically, he had three games where he absolutely exploded. He exploded in uh, the few snaps that he played against Philadelphia. I think he only played like seven snaps. So that one game clinching catch that he made that was like this beautiful toe dragger on the sideline. You might, you might have forgotten about that. And that kind of like iced the game for the Vikings. That was kind of the only thing he was getting judged on. So he ends up with like an elite, quote unquote, elite PFF grade. But obviously there's a huge sample size issue there. So don't read too much into it, though. That does also tend to other snaps. He was on the field where he wasn't targeted. They still thought that he ran good enough routes and, you know, just something else happened on the play or whatever, and they didn't give him, you know, negative grades on that or anything. But still, huge sample size issue, right? So you probably shouldn't look too much into that. But he had two apples where he also, like, completely exploded, and then he was, like, this total replacement player level player outside of it, which is just this really, really weird season. And then, like, being inactive for one playoff game but not another one, there was just all this weirdness with Laquan Treadwell. I think he played well enough, even if it's just because, you know, okay, he had that one really good performance against Kansas City, he had a pretty good performance in the forgettable Week 14 game against Detroit, and even just those two performances are enough to get you on a 90-man roster next year and try to make the team again, right? Yes, right here, right now, I would say the Vikings pick up enough wide receivers in, in the offseason, be they random CFL guys like the guy they signed yesterday, or, you know, later draft picks, or even like a real draft pick or a real signing, I think they get enough guys where, where Treadwell will struggle to make the team next year because you have to, I mean, all of that gets in training camp, then it's about how well you play in training camp. And I think we all have enough track record to be able to forecast that, but hats off enough, at least to him this year to, to bring him in. He's not going to be expensive. It's not going to be some big free agent thing. It's not going to prohibit you from bringing someone else in. It's going to be one spot of 90. And you know, the guy you're pushing off is going to be somebody from like East Lafayette state that was never going to make the team anyway. You know, some XFL cast off. I think bringing Treadwell in on the 90 man roster is a no brainer. And that's not a very high bar to clear, but Hey, at least he cleared it this time. So, I mean, the skill players were good on the whole this year. They, they were used well, they performed well, and the offense really, I mean, they were the drivers of the offense humming the way that it did. Of course, and you know, Kirk Cousins had the season, had, you know, and, and Irv Smith sometimes, and Dalvin Cook, and all those guys. That's really where this offense centered around, and I think it can center around that again, and I think it can be successful again, so long as you're smart about a couple of key things. So with that, that's where I'm going to leave this episode of Locked on Vikings. I'll see you all tomorrow. You, in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. The show's available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I will see you all uh, sorry, did I say tomorrow? I'll see you all next week. This is the last one of the week. I will see you all on Monday, and as always, Skull!